0: of uh, people that were standing here on the pulpit serving the church um, um, differently by going t- to different texts and we were blessed and fared well um, and we praised the Lord for that. Um, I praise the Lord every time I get to, 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 to hear God's word being declared and, and learn a lot from, from the word of God. Um, we will continue with, with James and today we are in chapter 4 verse uh, thirteen to verse uh, seventeen James chapter four verse thirteen to verse seventeen and it's amazing how as as we've been going through james you you get to see um, indeed how uh, uh, practical James is being, how he addresses different cases, uh, different scenarios that Christians face daily and today we look at What James, um, um, you know, addresses here, he addresses the subject of planning. Um, So, planning God's way, planning God's way. We are going to read James verse thirteen, chapter uh, four, verse thirteen to seventeen, and we'll continue with God's word. This is um, the word of God. Let us hear Him. boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin this is god's word let us pray our father indeed your word speaks to us it speaks so clearly We pray that even as you speak to us, our minds will be opened to understand your truth. Our hearts will be opened to receive your truth and our will will be conformed to your will. Draw us to yourself and teach us your will, O God. Teach us to to look to you. Teach us, O Father, to think um, uh, in a way that is shaped and informed by your word. Even as we Um, draw near to you today to learn about planning God's way, we pray that you will draw us to yourself, teach us to truly honor you as we learn your word. May you be blessed, oh, Father, as we hear your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we've seen how James addresses different cases and scenarios and and how he brings the word of God to bear. It's it's amazing how the word of God is relevant in every case of our lives. Whatever situation that we find ourselves in, there seems to be a, 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 a word that comes so clearly and so freshly to address our situation. James here addresses how to plan god's way how to plan god's way but well, one of the things about planning uh, when we plan for the future it reflects our hope it, it reflects what we truly hope in right that the new city catechism or um, the older one which is called the heidelbeck catechism the first question in the catechism says What is our only hope in life and death? What is our only hope in life and death? How would you answer that question? If you were asked in in, in relation to the way you plan for the future, and you were asked this question, what is your only hope in life and death? Will will, will, Will the manner in which you plan for the future really Answer that question well. I'm not gonna give you the answer to that question. I'm gonna wait and then we'll see what the question what what the answer to that question is when we conclude. So James here addresses the issue of planning, and we see three wise instructions when planning for the future. Three wise instructions when planning for the future. First of all, do not lean on your own abilities. Secondly, recognize the frailty of life. And thirdly, lean on God's sovereign will. Let us look at the first instruction, the first wise instruction when planning for the future. Do not lean on your own abilities. Look at verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend the year there and trade and make a profit. Notice the challenge that James makes here. Come now, you who say. That phrase, you who say, expresses a sense of confidence. It's a confident assertion that they are making. In this assertion, the person who is making it does not expect any contingencies or hiccups in his or her plans. There's a sense of, of being sure. But, but this confidence is unfortunately placed on the wrong source. It is not confidence in God, but confidence in self. It is clear that this is the case when you look at what they say. right? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend the year there, and trade, and make a profit. In James' day, merchants and, and tradesmen would gather goods and products uh, of one city, and then take them to some other distant city. And they would remain there for, for some time until they had sold those goods at a profit. Then using their profits, they'd buy uh, some other goods and products from that city and take them to yet another city to sell. This process was, was repeated over and over again, perhaps over a considerable number of years, until the merchant or the tradesman became rich enough to return to his home and live prosperously. So James, what he does here, he singles out this group to address the manner in which people plan for the future. And one thing is clear when you observe this in how these merchants and tradesmen um, make their plans is that they they were not informed by a biblical worldview. Their minds were not shaped by the Bible in the way they made plans for the future. Uh, Before exploring their worldview, I think it is important to, to note here that James here is not speaking against making future plans, right? When you read this passage, don't think that James is speaking against making future plans. In other words, he is not saying Christians must not plan for the future. I mean, it is wise to to put up things like insurance or, or an inheritance for your children. In fact, that is an indication of good stewardship. Proverbs chapter six verse um, six to eight uses an example of an ant, who, who without any chief, without a ruler or officer, prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And this example simply communicates the fact that planning for the future is wise, right? James again is not also uh, he is not saying that Christians should not be involved in business. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we need more Christians in business. Christians that are creating environments of excellence and gospel opportunities. We need Christians to be involved in being catalysts of of economic growth and improvement of human dignity by, by getting people out of poverty. We need businesses uh, that will be involved in supporting the global cause of the gospel by giving to missions and to local churches. We need that, right? So James is not speaking against making future plans or even being involved in business. But, but, but what James is warning against here is planning for the future in such a way that your hope lies in the outcome of your insurance or the success of your business these merchants and traders had an elaborate plan that relied not on God but on their ingenuity and on on their business acumen. Right? They trusted their business acumen more than they trusted God. They planned a day of their departure, today or tomorrow. They planned their destination, such and such a place. They plan the period of time that they are going to spend there. We're going to spend a year. They plan the results. We're going to trade and make profits. There's no doubt that they are self-confident. They are leaning on themselves here. They are relying on their abilities. They, 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 they trust their skill of, 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 of trading and, and skill of negotiation and skill of, of, of making sales. But this is not how Christians should look at life. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, provides us with wisdom in our approach to making plans. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The point is that our future planning must not be based on our own abilities to carry them through. Rather, we must have our hopes firmly fixed on God. When a believer plans for the future, they do so as those who hope in God. Not in the, in the accumulation of wealth or the maturing of their investments, but in the God who always and who promises to be with us in all circumstances. You see, the future of the believer, listen to this carefully, the future of the believer is not secure because of what they have in the bank. The future of the believer is secure because of who they have. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we see why planning that relies on self is not wise in the second point. The second wise instruction why planning when planning for the future is, is secondly to recognize the frailty of life. Recognize the frailty of life or the brevity of life, if I'm to use another term. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You are planning so elaborately, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21, Jesus tells a parable of a rich fool in response to two siblings who were disputing over their share of the inheritance. The rich man that Jesus talks about had, had, had plenty of fertile land that produced crops more than he could store. So he sat down and planned and and planned to break his buns and, and build bigger ones in order to store all his grain and, and his goods. Then he looked at everything and was pleased with himself. Right, He was joyful. He was pleased with all the material wealth that he accumulated. When he looked at it, he said, Oh, now I'm set for life. I have nothing to worry about, nothing to worry myself about, I have no worry, so I will relax, I will eat, drink, and be merry. A dream retirement plan, right? Set out in stone. But he forgot one important factor, the frailty of life. That, that, that very night after making such an elaborate plan after building bigger barns after being pleased with himself that very night God appeared to him and said fool this night your soul is required of you and things you have prepared whose will they be this night your soul will be required of you in other words to, this night you will die. Uh, death is um, is one thing that we can never control, right? We eat right. We don't eat GMOs anymore. We plant our own food. We we, we try so much. We exercise. We 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 we. we, we we, 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 we go on a diet plan. We go to the gym and we stop smoking. We stop drinking in order to enhance our lives. But we haven't run away from death, right? Death is one of the ways that displays the fact that we are not in control. Although we want to be in control, death reminds us that we are not in control. We are not the captain of our fate, right? (laughs) The master of our destiny. We are not. Death is a funny reminder that we are not in control. Jesus concludes after telling that parable by saying, Just like the fool, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Notice how that, that, that Jesus, what, 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 for Jesus, what really matters is not being rich in this world. Although that is not necessarily, necessarily wrong. Being rich in this world is not necessarily wrong. But what really, really matters is being rich towards God. And this is the case because we are not made for this world, right? The Bible describes Christians as aliens and passerbys. We are just visitors in this world. We are passing by. Therefore, we must come to understand that if we are indeed passerby, the world and the things thereof are fleeting and temporary. So to hold on to these things is ridiculous and vain. Talking about the temporary nature of the world in First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 30 and 31, Paul calls those who buy to live as though, as though they had no goods. And he calls those who had no dealings who had dealings with the world as though they had no dealings with it. And the reason that he gives, he says, for the present form of the world is passing away. You see, a Christian worldview insists that that, that must be our approach of life in this world. To have a firm grip on God. And a loose grip on the things of the world, to hold tightly to God and the material things of the world, to hold them loosely, that even when they are taken out of our hands, we will know that these things are just temporary. But these mentions that James is talking to were' not thinking in that way. So James reminds them uh, he, he reminds them. Uh, saying to them, You are approaching life in the way you're not supposed to approach it. I-, I love this term that he uses. He said, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. <laughs> take note of that word yet. Right? Can you can you bring it up? Uh, take note of, of that word yet. Other translations do not translate it this way. And I, I think the ESV captures the idea very well. Verse 14. It captures the idea very well. In the Greek, the, the, the yet functions qualitatively. You don't have to remember that. But the idea is this. The idea is that by, by the use of this word, James is reminding them of who they really are. Of what class of people they truly belong in, and this is the class of, of of personhood we all belong in. James is actually saying the knowledge of the future and its outcome is a knowledge that belongs exclusively to God, who is all knowing and who is all wise. So when a Christian plans for the future without God in the plan they are essentially making themselves their own God. So James skillfully reminds them that they are running in the wrong lane. You are a cat, but you are running in the lane of lions. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. It's classic, right? These people are planning for a year. <laughs> and it's so elaborate that they, they already has it, have it planned out for the whole year. They, they know how, how things are going to pan out, how, what the outcome is going to be. But James says, you are planning for a year, but you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You, you don't know about tomorrow. It is silly to be so sure about the outcome of the year, when tomorrow is just a mystery to you. Every year, every every December, December the 31st, there are big services that are held throughout the country in many many auditoriums and churches, and 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 in this auditorium they are they are. Casting out the year, in, in a way, um, the, 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 the teacher or the, the preacher, uh, false preacher, most of the time, they will stand up and say, next year is your year. This is the year of this and that. Nothing, you know, trouble will not come upon you. Uh, problems will not come upon you. You will, you will, you will be, be prosperous and, and this and that and so on and so on. But you, you come to notice that every December the people that have been told that this year is your year look back and say how was it my year? I became sick. Some fell into, 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 into debt. Some lost their jobs. Some lost family members. It doesn't matter what title you give yourself major prophet or, 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 or speaker of God or whatever you, you you give yourself you know these days there are so many uh, uh, titles that that you, 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 you can never um, say you know all the titles that people are coming up with the commander, fire you know and all these. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter what titles you give yourself you can never know what is going to happen throughout the year And, and people who claim to be knowing what happens throughout the year this is what James says to them verse 16 as it is you boast in your arrogance such boasting all such boasting is evil It is arrogant because it presumes against God. And it is evil because it removes God out of the picture. But life is frail, isn't it? What is your life, James retorts. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and, and then vanishes. James points out here how transient, how, how brief, how short life is. He borrows the image of a mist or a vapor in the sky that under the heat of the day dissipates and disappears. In the morning, you see the mist, right? During the day, it's not there anymore. I think parents understand this very well, don't they? One minute, a child is crawling in the living room, making a mess of things, next they are walking down the aisle being given into marriage and a lot of times what do parents say in those moments where did all the years go the brevity of life that they feel like the years just flew by with this reality in mind we should come to an awareness that life is wasted when we just spent it in the pursuit of the things of the world, the things that are fleeting. We are wasting our lives. City Start was a well-known, successful cricketer in, in England. Very well-known, um, was setting world records by his time. Yet he left all the wealth, he left all the fame to spend the rest of his life in the jungle of Congo as a missionary. And you ask yourself, what is it that drove him to, such, to, to, to make such a drastic decision? What is it that drove him? It was coming to an understanding that there's only one life and it will soon pass. And only what's done for Christ will last only one life it will soon pass only what's done for Christ will last and, and how do we come to to such a view of life and the world we see that in the third point the third and last wise instruction when planning for the future is that we should lean on God's sovereign will Lean on God's sovereign will. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Here we see a truth that is affirmed elsewhere in Scripture. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Paul says, in God we live and we move and we have our being. The life of a Christian is a life consciously lived in relation to God. In other words, it is a life that should be marked by faith in God through Christ rather than a life of autonomy and and independence. This means that I as a Christian am not my own person, but I belong to God. There's a lovely phrase that Paul uses to refer to the believer in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, the last part of verse 19, and the first part of verse 20. Although this phrase is in the context of calling Christians to, to flee from sexual immorality, it is still true and relevant in reference to our lives in relation to God. This is what he says. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Do you hear that? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. In other words, the Christian should recognize one of the greatest and most liberating truths that we can affirm. The fact that we are not our own. And when we are not our own, we recognize the truth that there is only one God and I am not him. This should be your statement of faith. There is only one God and I am not him. James brings this perspective of a godly alternative to the thinking of verse 13. He, he doesn't just end by showing how transient life is, how, how passing and how brief life is, but he goes on even further to show that God is sovereign and that all of life is in God's hands. In contrast to the self trust and presumption, James says instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You see, the sovereignty of God reminds us that the Lord controls all the events of life, that He's got the whole world in His hands, He's got the whole world he has the whole world in his hands the whole wide world all the events of life whether in our lives or in nature they are in the hands of god three important truths stand out in this verse first we recognize that the lord the will of the lord is ultimate This means that the Christian's number one driving force in life must be to seek the will of God above all. If if anything is to delight us as Christians, if anything is to bring us joy, it must be the knowledge that we are walking in the will of God. In our making plans, we must seek above all the will of God. Whether our plans succeed or fail, the point is that God's will prevails. The fact that the will of God is ultimate should rejoice our hearts because the Lord knows best, doesn't he? The Lord knows best. In other words, God will not do anything that will ultimately bring harm to his beloved children. And this helps us to to think about trial as well, right? That trial is indeed brought by God in our lives. And if God will not do anything to harm his children then trial, when it comes into our lives, it does not come to harm us. Secondly, we see that all our accomplishments are determined by God. Notice that phrase, we will live and do this or that. The the, the phrase, we will live and do this or that, is dependent on if the Lord wills. You see that? If the Lord wills, is the feeding Force into we will live and do this or that. Then McKedney says, a recognition of, the depen- of dependency on God entails a recognition that one cannot do anything unless God intends it to happen. In other words, unless the Lord wills, the living and the doing cannot happen. This gives us a proper perspective on our, on our accomplishments, right? On everything we accomplish in life, whether it is having a successful business, whether it is getting long, uh, that long-awaited job, whether it is obtaining a degree, the glory goes to its proper place. When we say, I achieved this and that, I, I accomplished this and that, we end it by saying, all because of God. Only a fool Only a fool will be blind enough to not recognize this truth. The third truth we see is that planning with God in mind displays the fact that our confidence is in him and not in our abilities. You see, when making future plans, our confidence is not in the fact that we are smart or skillful enough to bring about success in those plans. But it is in God who knows best. And so we resign our will to him. You see, when we resign our will to God, we, we stop fearing the future. We, we, we stop worrying what will be. We resign. Our, when we resign our will to God, we admit that we are not in control and God is. These three truths liberate us to know that God is in control. And so in our making future plans, we can joyfully say, if the Lord wills. Again, I need to caution you here. You see, when we say, if the Lord wills, it is not just a, a nice phrase that you, you say at the end of a sentence. Uh, but it is as Douglas Moo says, um, as he patently observes from, from, from Calvin, that Jesus Paul, uh, Jesus, Paul, and the other apostles do not always state this condition out loud when they make future plans. Uh, but what was important is not the verbalization of it, um, but that they had it as a principle fixed in their minds that they would do nothing without the permission of God. Right? He, he goes on to point that there's no magic formula in the words, if the Lord wills. We, uh, during the week, we were visiting a family um, that is, is moving away from from from. The country, and um, as as people were were coming in and and buying things, you know, you know, uh, they are just selling stuff and they are hot stuff. And and one of the people that were were coming in um, asked uh, my wife. You know, because my wife is pregnant, I mean, that's always a conversation, but that people want to have. They ask, is it a boy? And she says, is it a boy or a girl? She says, boy. And 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 then. Uh, This lady says, "No, I have a a boy and a girl, but I wanted both girls." Uh, And 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 the next time, maybe you pray. The next time you pray, maybe you should say, uh, "When you want a girl, just say to God, I want a boy.'" And God will think that you want a boy, and He will give you a girl. It's like she had it figured out, right? How to manipulate God? It's like when we say, "If the Lord wills." We are not saying it in that sense that, you know, I want, to, I want to achieve this and this next year. And then at the end of the sentence, she's like, if the Lord wills. But to say, saying it in a way to manipulate God. We, we, we don't say it like that. We, we say it because we know that we do everything by the permission of God. Right? We accomplish everything by the permission of God. But not only that, not only do we recognize the truth, we, we also, it should also for, force us to evaluate our planning from a biblical perspective, to ask ourselves if this kind of planning is in accordance with the Lord's will expressed in Scripture for his people. Ask ourselves that. Is it the will of God? What I want to do, is it what God wants his people? Is this the way God wants his people to live and to do things? Right. You might be asking yourself, what is the fast all about? I mean, how, why should we care about how we make future plans? When we started, I said, the way we make future plans reveal our hope, right? Remember that question from the New City Catechism? The first question says, what is our only hope? In life and death. How did you answer that question? Let me give you the answer now. What is our only hope in life and death? Here's the answer. That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior Jesus Christ. That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, what a joy indeed it is to know that we can make plans because you are sovereign. We do not have to be anxious about the future when we make plans. We leave it in your hands. We thank you, above all, that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be blessed, O God, as we live our lives in light of your will. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.